Blog Talk Radio. Glamour, fear less, diabetes late night. Where we are right now doesn't look like what we had envisioned 
We waste time wishing things were different. We forget that we have the power to change our circumstances merely by choosing to look at things in a different way. One of the ways you could get yourself out of a rut is to start making a bucket list. Having a list of things you want to achieve adds tremendous value to your life. If you're continuously looking for opportunities and you're continually trying to achieve your goals, print that list out, hang it on your refrigerator, and look at it daily for inspiration. Another thing you could do is why not put on some salsa music the next time you clean house? That's what I've been doing all week long getting ready for this podcast. And I have to tell you, Celia Cruz makes you burn those calories when you're vacuuming and dusting around the house. I also like to take a moment to look at the small things in life, which is what we're talking about all year long at Divabetic. It's about living in the here and now and making the most of your diabetes life. So, don't just think of those mundane tasks as something you don't can't get into. Try to unbuckle your belt, drink, text, comb your hair, get more focused on what you're doing, and think about making a difference in your life. If you're if you're bored right now, there's probably a good book, a good friend, or a family member you could call and start to take advantage of the great things in your life. Now, Celia Cruz took advantage of the great things in life by touring all over the world with salsa music. One of her most popular sayings was, Azucar, which she would yell on stage every night, and it means sugar, which is probably somehow related to why we chose her as our March Steve inspiration. Let's hear some more great music, and then we're going to start talking to my fabulous guests right after this landmark song by Celia Cruz. Here we go. Esa negrita que va caminando, esa negrita tiene su tumbao, y cuando la gente la va mirando, ella baila de lado, también apretado, apretado, apretado. La negra tiene tumbao, azúcar, azúcar, y no camina de lado. Si quieres llegar derecho, mejor camina de frente, para became her trademark that she brought to the stage and she said it throughout her life while she was performing. I thought that was a funny little tidbit I found out about Celia Cruz as I was preparing for this podcast. It's time to welcome my first guest and uh, find out ways to spice up your life. She's a registered dietitian, certified diabetes educator, national speaker, and the author of the Diabetes Guide to Enjoying Foods of the World a convenient guide for people with diabetes to enjoy all the flavors of the world while still following a healthy meal plan. Please welcome back to this podcast, Constance Browns Riggs. Hi, Constance. Hi, Max. Thank you. Thanks for being on the show tonight. Um, I, I wanted to have you because I we had talked about this book, and um, I thought it would fit in nicely with our musical inspiration, Celia Cruz. Yeah, yeah, it's a great inspiration. And this month is also National Nutrition Month. I forgot to mention that to you. Oh, right. So what, are, are they coming out with um, – I saw that they came out with some flashcards about nutrition, but how could people listening right now take advantage of some of the things that National Nutrition Month has going on? Uh, just go to eatright.org, E-A-T-R-I-G-H-T.org, and they'll be able to access the wealth of information there. Great. 
All right. Well, I want to get right into it because, you know, Celia Cruz is Cuban, and a lot of Cuban people uh, generally like to have ham and cheese sandwich, fried chicken, pork rinds, <laughs> white rice, white bread, and leafy greens. And they also drink a lot of sodas at their meals. So I wanted to um, talk to you a little bit about how someone who might be enjoying that lifestyle who's diagnosed with diabetes can kind of find a middle ground about where they're, they're still able to enjoy some of the comfort foods they've grown up loving, but now they're able to manage their diabetes in a healthy way. So I thought we'd start with this idea of uh, fried food lovers. What, if you love eating fried food, but you have type 2 diabetes, what would you say to me as a registered dietitian? Well, the first thing that I'd want to know is how often are you having that fried food and what type of oil are you using? So those would be my two major questions. And, you know, it doesn't mean that you can't ever have fried food that you've grown up and you enjoy eating, but it's to learn how to prepare it in a more helpful way. So there are um, some tips available for, for healthy frying. Um, one of those, of course, is to make sure that you're using healthy oils. And the other is to make sure that you're frying in a way that you use minimal amounts of oil. So, you know, I never tell anyone no. Um, for people with diabetes, there's really nothing that is absolutely out. It's let's learn how to prepare it differently. And if you don't want to prepare it differently, then we may have to say, well, reserve that for special occasions. And that's kind of what I point out in my book as well. There are things well, that, that is a big you know, maybe, issue for people because I feel like there's a huge misconception in the general public about why people mm -hmm. who are recently diagnosed with type 2 diabetes or who've been managing it for a while and they don't want to talk to a dietitian because they don't want them to tell them they can't enjoy these foods. And so I, I do exactly. think, like, why do, you, why do you think there's such a, a big disparity between what you just said and how the general public usually views what thinks what you would say? Well, I, I, as you said, you know, years ago, when someone was diagnosed with diabetes, everything was what you can't do. You can't eat this. You can't have that. You shouldn't have peas and potatoes in the same meal. And God forbid you eat a banana. That's the worst thing in the world. And we've come a long way. And now we understand that that person with diabetes, their meal plan is the same as anyone else. And everyone should be eating healthy. And particularly when we talk about ethnic cuisines, that's really generally where you find most of, you know, your healthy food when you're cooking at home, when you're using fresh vegetables and, um, you know, legumes and, and all those root vegetables that are very popular within um, Cuban cuisine. So, uh, again, it's not a matter of absolutely no. It's let me show you how we can work this into your meal plan and still achieve your goal. Okay, well, I know when you're, a lot of Cuban food has beef, pork, and lamb in it, so I know one of the big questions people always say is, like, how much visible fat could be on those meats? Uh, should you take off that meat before you actually prepare it or eat it? What do you say to that? Well, we want you to have as, as little fat, animal fat particularly, as possible. So the goal, my goal that I give everyone is trim some of the fat before you cook the meat. If you trim all the fat before you cook, you're going to end up with something like shoe leather that you're not going to be able to eat anyway. So you trim some before you cook, and then you trim the remainder before you eat it. And that way you still end up with a nice flavorful piece of meat that you can enjoy without extreme amounts of fat. Okay, and then um, uh, there's a lot of salt in some of these foods, obviously. So what, mm -hmm. what does someone do? Because we both know that high blood pressure is commonly linked with diabetes, and so it's not just managing your blood sugars. It's also looking at your salt intake. And a lot of ethnic foods uh, may or may not have it, but if you're, if you're always constantly going for that fast food option in ethnic food, I would think nine times out of ten it might have more sodium than you know about. So what do you advise someone Absolutely. to cut back on that? Well, if you're cooking at home, I always say get familiar with the spice rack. <clears throat> Excuse me, that's number one. That's, you know, 
experiment with the spices. They bring out the flavor. What happens is our taste buds get dull, for lack of a better word, because we, you know, we rely on salt and, and these things for flavor. As you begin to cut back on salt, your taste buds are going to change, and you'll be accustomed to more of that natural flavor of your food. You'll also, again, get more familiar with the various herbs that are available, herbs and spices. And soon, things that you used to eat that you thought were just perfect, you're going to find that they're just much too salty for you. So one is to um, get familiar with the spice rack and then slowly begin to cut back on the salt. Stay away from the salt shaker at the table. That's probably one of the worst things because you're actually going to add a lot more salt trying to flavor that food after it's been cooked. The best thing is to use a small amount in the cooking process rather than trying to add salt at the table. And then processed foods, as you mentioned, are typically very high in sodium, so you want to get away from a lot of processed foods and those um, uh, processed meats as well. A lot of the, you know, the sausage and um, bologna, things like that are loaded with sodium. So those, those are some of the, uh, like, the major tips. Mm-hmm. I think so that a lot of people today uh, have no time. They're rushing around. I know one of the big tips all diabetes educators I know is about pre-planning and like what you're saying has been about home cooking and certainly mm-hmm. uh, let's not forget the convenience of buying takeout and um, specifically about picking up processed food. I'm thinking of all those people I see in New York City, uh, cab drivers to in the financial district where they have limited time to go get something to eat so they grab something fast. How could, how could someone like that put some of your guidelines to work? Well, if they're, if they're going to, um, I guess it depends on where they're eating, but similar, let's say a, a salad bar. And many many of the um, the delis and places like that now will offer salads available, whether it's a salad bar that you prepare, you know, you put the salad in the little dish yourself. So really load up on the vegetables as much as possible. And you want the fresh vegetable. You don't want the vegetable that's, um, for an example, uh, with a lot of brine added to it because that's a sodium solution. So you want the fresh vegetable as much as possible. You want the carrots. Um, the, um, if they have asparagus tips or the broccoli, you want to add all that and make it a nice big salad. It's convenient because it's already there. It's chopped up, and that's something that's very fast. The other thing is if you go into a deli, of course, they're, they're going to have oftentimes, you know, fresh meat. They'll have turkey, and you can ask for the turkey that has not been injected with that extra sodium. So you want fresh turkey. So there are ways that you can handle it. And the other thing, if worst-case worst scenario, if you end up having a high-sodium meal, that high-sodium lunch, then just make sure that your breakfast that you're eating at home is a low-sodium breakfast, and make sure that your dinner, ideally, that you're going back home to eat is a low-sodium dinner as well. And that can help to reduce the overall sodium intake. For, for most people, it's the accumulation of sodium. There are some individuals that may be salt-sensitive, and you know if they have um, a high-salt meal, a high-sodium meal, then that can cause their blood pressure to go up. But for most people, it's the accumulation of salt, of sodium throughout the day that they've got to be concerned with. Do you have a favorite uh, salt alternative? Excuse me? Do you have a favorite salt alternative? Actually, um, other than using fresh herbs and spices, Mrs. Dash is, is great. And Mrs. Dash has a lot of different flavors now for chicken. One of my favorite things to do is just to um, roast chicken, put a little olive oil on it, and sprinkle Mrs. Dash on it. And that really comes out great. So that's just a simple recipe. And um, I I know personally that you've been like on a health transformation. So I'm curious, when you wrote the Diabetes Guide to Enjoying Foods of the World, what did you find out? Like, how, what's changed in your diet? Because I'm sure you did a lot of research, and I'm just, well, have you added more, expanded your palate, or what, what have you learned that you could share with our listeners? Actually, 
as far as let's let's use salt for example, I cut cut out. I won't say I cut it out totally, but I've cut down on salt considerably long time ago. And at this point in time, things that I used to eat are so salty if I try to eat them now. So that's one of the things that I know just personally when I tell people, if you cut down your sodium intake, your taste is going to be much more acute, and you're going to enjoy the natural flavor of your food, and you don't need salt in order to enjoy that, that meal. As far as, um, you know, just cooking, in, in my home, my husband does all the cooking, so I give the direction, <laughs> and he does the cooking. So I tell them, you know, I, I want more fish. I need more fish. Got to make sure I want a salad at night. And, you know, thankfully, he's, he's a good cook. He also happens to be a registered dietitian as well. So, but he, he loves to cook. I love to give direction, and he loves to cook. So it works out well. And um, tell me, like, a lot of people listening – have very small palates, like they have a limited amount of foods they eat. Based on what we were talking about earlier about the misconception with dietitians, they think that they have to stick to just a small amount of food choices out there. And I know a lot of people don't experiment with uh, the salad bar and go for different vegetables. So in this book, um, you know, what, what, what are some of the more unusual fruits and vegetables that you think people should know about? Well, they, you know, they may not, I, I, I think of myself, and, and for me, they're, they're not necessarily um, unfamiliar. So let's see. I don't know. Maybe um, more of your, your tropical fruits. Um, I'm trying to well, think wait, of something. Can I, I can't think of anything. I once did health sure. outreach at a school on the, um, in Washington Heights, which is usually highly Dominican. Uh, the population is highly Dominican, and so we were taking over the salad bar, and we had carrots, celery, and cherry tomatoes, and we were told by like 99% of the student party that those were exotic vegetables, and they didn't, and the, they didn't usually eat them. So I just think like oh, when you think goodness. about what the variety of fruits and vegetables out there is, much more of a limited palate that we um, we don't know about, you know, because I would sure, think like sure. you've got would be something different, but maybe it's not. You know, it might be much simpler than that. Sure. Papaya. Well, I think of, of growing up. You know, my, my parents are, are from uh, the South, and so that's the, you know, the type of food that we would eat. I never knew anything early on in my early years about papaya or um, we didn't even eat mango or anything like that. So, you know, from that perspective, yeah, those are some, you know, excellent fruits that are available that uh, they should get familiar with and to increase and open up their palate a little bit more. But now, well, that's also an interesting I, question I, because, like, fruit brings up this idea of a lot of sugar. Like, people think they can't have fruit. Can you have fruit uh, if you're living with yes. diabetes? And what would you say the guidelines around that would be? Because a lot of people look at Absolutely. that as Absolutely. Yeah, it's 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 natural sugar, and when you're eating a whole piece of fruit, not only does it have the natural sugar, it also has fiber in it. So that kind of helps as far as blunting the um, the glucose blood glucose excursion after eating that. What I tell everyone is the first thing to start off with is trying to calculate the total carbohydrate that you're eating in the meal. That's number one. And everyone is an individual. And there are some, you know, some people that even if they're measuring, if they have, you know, just a half a banana or a small medium banana or they have 15 grapes, whatever we consider a serving size, and they're counting very carefully, and they find that every time they eat that, their blood glucose is elevated, well, then, of course, for that individual, they need to stay away from that. And maybe a different combination of food will work for them. But for the most part, for the majority of people, particularly those with type 2 diabetes, they can include fruit in their meal and, and not have, um, you know, a problem with their diabetes management. If they have a problem, generally what I find, it's because they're just eating too much. Instead of having a serving of grapes, they're eating a bag of grapes, and that will cause a problem for sure. <laughs> no, I, I, that's a great advice. I hope people take that to heart. Um, you know, all year long, this is our year with we're, we're at it, we're um, boosting attitudes, and so – this year on our podcast, we're doing this thing called the Hot Seat. So, Constance, please have a seat in the Hot Seat. We're going to give you a question ahead of time. 
but uh, we want to get your opinion on this. You are a registered dietitian. You're a national speaker. You've written several books. So what do you think of Weight Watchers recently announcing plans to offer a free six-week membership to kids as young as 13 beginning this summer? The idea of... uh, the idea of targeting teens with a diet program has created a lot of waves within the health industry. We'd like to know your opinion. Sure. Um, the, un- the unfortunate thing is oftentimes rather than teaching the children, young children like that, 12, 13-year-old, how to eat, you know, it starts at home. And, of course, it's getting them more physically active as well as, the parents teaching them portion control. And, uh, again, if the parents prepare meals more at home, that would be much more advisable. There are, unfortunately, we we know there is that increased rate of obesity in our young children. And I think if, if the parent is going along with them, at that age, they're too young to do anything on their own. And I, it would depend on how it's set up, you know, um, it has to be led, I feel, by a, a registered dietitian, ideally, um, who will understand behavior change and understand what young people need in terms of balancing out their meals. Um, the fact that it's free, again, for many individuals, that can actually be helpful because it will allow them to get in and, and get the help that they need. Um, so, you know, I can see uh, where some of the controversy is in terms of the age, but when I think, again, of young people, I think of some of the inner-city children that are extremely obese and that their parents have no idea of what a balanced meal is, having the opportunity to sit down with a professional in a group setting that can help them, I, I think it you know, could have a positive um, benefit as well. So I, I don't see it as being all negative. I definitely see where it can be some benefit. And it's like everything else. It depends on the individual and the individual situation. No, I agree. And I really appreciate that tonight. I think that was good advice and I, I hope people take it to heart. As much as I hope they take to heart your new book, which again we should tell everybody it's a diabetes guide to um, enjoying foods, enjoying of the world. foods around the world and <laughs> of the world. And you had a co-author co- co- on this book. Gosh, I can't even get it out. So why don't we say who the co-author yes. is on this? Yes, Jessica Jones. Jessica Jones. She's she's a well-known RD as well, and um, she's done quite a bit. She's uh, got a, a web, what is it, podcast that she does as well, and um, website Food Heaven. I believe is is the uh, title of her podcast and website. Great. All right. And well, thanks book, for being on the show listen, tonight, Constance. The, love it. And good luck with your five k run. <laughs> Thank you. Our, I just want to say quickly, the book is available at eatright.org also. So just click on the store, and the book is available there. Perfect. Thanks. All right. In a career Thank that spanned you, over Matt. fifty years, our diva inspiration Celia Cruz became one of the most famous entertainers of the 20th century. She was known as La Reina de Salsa. Here's my favorite sing-along song from my childhood, courtesy of Sony Music, Guantalamera. Let's listen. Back to Diaries Late Night. I'm your host, Mr. Diva Bedick, and it's time to meet my next guest. Tonight we're talking about spicing up your diabetes life. Why wouldn't you have a, a best-selling cookbook author on the, on the podcast tonight, Max? And the answer is I would. So my next, best, my next guest has sold over a million cookbooks. Um, she's a culinary expert on easy, healthy, everyday recipes. Please welcome to the show, Holly Clegg. Hi, Holly. Hey, Max, and I haven't heard that song in so long. It is actually one of my favorites from a million years ago. <laughs> so it's showing our age. I was like, oh, my God, that's so cool. What's the song? Oh, it's a great album. It's called The Absolute Collection by uh, of Celia Cruz by Sony Music, and it's just phenomenal. She's got 
all these great hits. And I agree, it's like fun to hear that song again. You don't hear it that often, and it, it, it just no. brings back great memories. It um, sure does. I want to ask you just, smile on my face. Right from the start, she's Lorena de Salsa. So I, I had to ask you, like, what's your what's your go to salsa recipe? Well, one of my favorites actually is in my new men's cookbook, and it's you take, um, it's I think it's avocado. It's called a super salsa, and it's it tastes like it's just such fresh and great ingredients and a great combination of flavors. But all it is is salsa, and you know the Mexicorn that you get in the um, store in a can. You drain it, an avocado and lemon juice. And it is just dynamite. You could serve it with chips or you could serve it with fish or chicken or anywhere. So how does that? Uh, that one's one of my favorites um, all year round. And you're not depending on fresh summer tomatoes, so but you can. And a lot of times, you know what I'll do, Max, is I'll go to the grocery and get their fresh salsa. But honestly, you know, I'm a woman of convenience, so I never usually make it from scratch for this one. No, I love it. I do it, too. I get I, I'll buy the avocados and I'll get the jar of salsa and then I might buy the limes, like you said, and squeeze them over that to make it even <laughs> smell fresher, right? Right, exactly, exactly. You know, my motto is fresh plus convenience equals homemade and it's dawned on me that's exactly what this recipe is about. So sometimes you take a convenience product but then you add the, you know, the fresh avocado and the lime juice and it just adds that homemade fresh appeal to it. Does that your motto come because so many people today are just too tired to cook at the end of the day that, you know, to get them in the kitchen, it's got to be easy and fast. Have you found that over the years that our lives have just gotten so much busier that we need these shortcuts in order to stay healthy and on track with some of our goals as far as our health is concerned? Absolutely. You know, I've been doing this for over 25 years and a lot of authors come and go, and I'm still hanging around. And I always say it's because I have a realistic approach, a practical approach. I'm not telling you to go on a diet because diets, you know, I always say are like a vacation. They have a beginning and they have an ending. You never stay on them. And nobody wants to be deprived or told they can eat it, you know, certain foods. So I try to give everybody a healthier lifestyle and hold their hand to make changes in their life to maybe, um, you know, actually, did you know in salsa that a half a cup of salsa is equal to one serving of vegetables? How I about know, that's that? incredible. So, yeah. <laughs> so Super Bowl Sunday, people are having a lot of servings of vegetables with those chips, right? <laughs> lots, lots. And I'll tell you what I like to do, too, and speaking of chips, is – Serve. I was just doing something for St. Patrick's Day and showing you green peppers, cucumbers, zucchinis, but year-round use fresh vegetables as your chips. And in a way, it's almost better because you get to, you know, really savor the flavor of your dip or your salsa or whatever you're eating. But um, my my way of life and my cookbooks have always been about one-stop shopping. You know, people go, oh, I guess you have to go to a specialty grocery store, and I went, no, you don't. You can find everything at your main, you know, grocery store, wherever you live. Um, and most of the time, the, really the number one comment I get nationwide, which makes me happy, is people go, God, I already have all the ingredients in my house. I don't even need to go to the grocery store. So my goal is to simplify cooking. Simplify well, cooking. Well, it is because, because you sent me a bunch of Cuban recipes, which we've been posting on our blog. And last week I took the challenge and I made your Cuban-style chicken soup. And you said in the shortcut that I could get a rotisserie chicken from the store, which I did. <laughs> I didn't. Well, good, I didn't go for some of the. Um, I I I jacked up the onions and tomatoes. I didn't go with some of the other. I think you had yuca in it. You you recommended, so it was kind of like a combo. But I did have the cilantro and some of the and the limes. Tell us a little bit about that recipe because I, I I enjoyed making it. I don't. Th- it didn't come out quite as well as I'm sure you would make it, but it was an easy recipe as a novice cook that I think anyone could really kind of pull off. Well, and you said it perfectly. If you don't have an ingredient, I always say you leave it out. Or if you don't like an ingredient, leave it out. Cooking's creative, and you should adjust the recipes um, to what you like. You know, I was in Cabo, uh, Mexico, and had, you know, this kind of chicken soup. And my that's actually in my uh, Spanish cancer book. The can- I have Eating Well Through Cancers, one of my books, and we have a, a Hispanic edition. And the chef, Chef Zoe, uh, made this, and I was like, oh, my gosh, this is so delicious. 
And it's always better if somebody else makes it for you. But because I do test all my own recipes, you know, for quantities and make sure they do work, I actually made it as well. And I think it's a, like you said, sort of a trumped up chicken soup. But um, I keep it simple by using just regular ingredients and chicken broth. You don't have to make your own chicken stock. And rotisserie chicken might be one of the greatest inventions ever. You know, just remove the skin from the chicken. I don't even... You know, it really adds flavor to whatever you're doing, too. So it's an easy recipe um, to do. It was. I did it and walked away and came back, and I was ready to serve. I loved it. Now, I want to talk a little bit about these trends and get into your new cookbook, uh, The Guy's Guide to Eating Well, a trim and terrific guy's guide to eating well, a man's cookbook for health and wellness. This has to be a change in the 20 years you've been doing cookbooks. More men are going into the kitchen. My first guest, uh, Constance Brown Riggs, just said that her husband does all the cooking. I'm just, is, I'm curious, what inspired you to want to do this book? Well, what you said is so true because when I started my first Trim and Terrific, I have to tell the story, 25 years ago, nobody, you know, I was sort of ahead of my time because I felt there was a correlation with what we eat and our diet. But I would have a woman come up to me, a frantic housewife, say, oh, my husband, you know, had a heart attack. I need to change what I cook or the opposite and say, I'm not buying this for my daughter. She'll think I'm telling her she's fat. So men didn't cook, but you are so right. The evolution of men, I think it takes two uh, people to work in a household now. So, you know, you have your men and women. I know my daughters go, huh, he's doing half the cooking because I work just as hard as he does. So I think men are cooking as a way of life to help more so because they take on more of the duties with children and everything. And then also when men retire, I hear they go back, they start cooking because they have time to cook. Um, So there really isn't anything out there like this book, and that's why I'm so excited. It's called A Guy's Guide to Eating Well, A Man's Cookbook for Health and Wellness. You know, there's books out there, How to Get Muscles or How to Grill, Outdoor Cooking. But this book is really based on symptoms uh, a man might have and the foods with information that are best for whatever that condition could be. I love it. You had a co-author who's a who's a uh, expert in men's health advising you. I would think um, it had chapters on gluten-free, uh, diabetes-friendly, cooking freezer-friendly, and then you had something on heart disease. We're talking a lot about getting the salt out of our diet, so I'm sure that was that. Um, have you found that people are d- drawn to a specific chapter in this book? I know it just came out, but I'm just curious where you've seen the most buzz so far on the book. Well, honestly, it isn't out yet. I just got my first copy oh. uh, shipped. There's four copies out there, so this is the first interview. It I was all heard on with Max. <laughs> oh my gosh! Uh, no, it will be out. No, it'll be. It is available for pre-order, and it's fabulous. You know, easy 30-minute recipes. Um, you know what's interesting, and of course, you know this, and all, most of your listeners know this, but when people, you know, people say, "I need low sodium," "I need." something for heart, I need something for cancer, whatever. But the common denominator is if it's a diabetic recipe, it probably meets all that criteria. And what's so important about this book is whether you're talking about the obesity and diabetes chapter, you're talking the heart chapter, or or I made something to dinner tonight, um, the roasted uh, peppers and sausage and has colorful peppers, these vibrant, delicious peppers, and just turkey sausage and fresh spinach and onions and a little, you know, roasted tomatoes. You throw it all together and you can serve it over couscous pasta or whatever. But what I've done with this book and I have in my later books, because it is so important to eat healthy and a diabetic diet is just the healthiest way to eat, is throughout the book, I have a D to indicate diabetic recipes. And there really aren't books out there like this. So I hope people will understand that you're just eating regular food and it happens to have a D, which means it's a diabetic friendly recipe throughout, you know, it's on that recipe. And honestly, throughout the book, probably more recipes have uh, the D for diabetic recipes than another. But I think, okay, I think probably what, you know, what those men are going to all look for is that testosterone chapter. You know how they are, right, Max? <laughs> Absolutely. I'm going for that too. All right, guess what? All year long, we're challenging our listeners to go, I mean, our guests to go into the hot seat. Holly? Okay. Please take a seat in the hot seat. I'm ready. 
I'm going to give you three boring vegetables, as we like to say, and you've got to give me the spices you think that would make add some pizzazz. Are you ready? I'm ready. How would you, what spices would you add to give some zip to zucchini? Well, zucchini, especially because it's in the summer, I like fresh basil or Italian seasonings with uh, zucchini. I think that sort of pops it up a little bit. And I, you know what I love to do is roast my vegetables. You almost don't need any seasoning if you roast them because it really enhances the flavor. And what do you put on them before you roast them? Do you put anything on them? No, just a little. You could drizzle it with just a tad bit of olive oil, and you could do salt and pepper or toss them with whatever seasoning you like. like and they're All right, so, so what would you add? How would you add some flair to cauliflower? What would be your spice off the spice rack? I think cauliflower, I go with cumin, and um, actually in the new men's cookbook, there's a roasted cauliflower recipe with a cumin, and it gives it that little smoky flavor, or you could sort of go adventurous and go with curry. You know, curry sort of, you know, that's good. That complements cauliflower, too. Either one of those, I think, would sort of be fun to use. The perfect. All right, and the final one, how do you add some punch to Brussels sprouts? Oh my People gosh, usually leave sprouts. the Brussels sprouts on the plate. So how do you get someone to eat I, Brussels sprouts? Well, if you've ever had fresh Brussels sprouts, they're so good. And I have a roasted one, a stir-fried one. But you know what I love is lemon. You could do like lemon pepper, fresh lemon juice, and like some toasted pecans. Those aren't quite seasoned, but we can make lemon be a go in that direction. And I don't think you need too much with that. If you You'd be surprised. I encourage everyone out there squeeze some fresh lemon on some of these vegetables. It really just uh, perks up their flavor. I love it. And I should tell everybody, we've been posting your Cuban recipes on our blog all month long. They're going to be coming out again in our newsletter next month. Make sure to pick up your newest book, Trim, uh, Trim and Terrific, Guy's Guide to Eating Well, A Man's Cookbook for Health and Wellness. When does it come out, Hallie? It should hit the stores middle of May, but like I said, you could pre-order it now, and I'm starting to put recipes up. Um, and it's a great book for men's health. There's, you know, it's really a book for everybody, for the whole family. But what's interesting is Dr. Curtis Chastain uh, was the co-author. He starts each chapter with a story like, let's say, I came in to see you, and I have this big stomach. No matter what I do, it doesn't go away. And then you get tested and you have diabetes or you might have had a chest pain that you didn't identify. So it, it really helps you identify different symptoms and then what you could do uh, to live a longer, healthier life. Great. Well, thanks for being on the show. And, again, thanks for sharing those recipes with us and that insight tonight. Holly Clegg, thank you. Uh, thank you, Matt. All right, in 1966, our diva inspiration began an association with Tito Puente and recorded eight albums together. She performed in Carnegie Hall. Here's another popular song from our diva inspiration for March, Celia Cruz, courtesy of Sony Music. Welcome back to Diabetes Late Night. I'm your host, Mr. Diva Medic. I can listen to the absolute collection of Celia Cruz on a rainy day, and I am just smiling the entire day. It's a terrific album, and she's so inspirational. I hope you check it out. All right, so it's time, you know, to talk to our Charlie's Angels Outreach. Uh, she's one of my favorite educators. She's been on the program many times. Before I bring Patricia on, though, I want to tell you that you can learn what's trending every day in the diabetes community and health and wellness and get a daily dose of inspiration on DivaBetic's Facebook page. So please take a minute to like us on Facebook and get, all, uh, get some tips on what's happening and trending in your community. Right now it's time to welcome Patricia Addy Gentle to the podcast. Hi, Patricia. Hi, Max. Thanks for having me. Well, thanks for joining the show tonight and being part of our Cuban celebration. Thank you. Um, you know, Celia Cruz wasn't living with diabetes, but her husband, Pedro Knight, was. He actually waited 12 years before he told Celia Cruz how she, he felt about her. And uh, when he did, she said she didn't want anything to do with him because she felt musicians had too many uh, women in their lives and she didn't want to suffer. However, 
They finally connected when they fled uh, from Mexico to America, and they married for 41 years and had a beautiful marriage. Unfortunately, after she died, Pedro Knight's health started going uh, on the decline, and he did have type 2 diabetes, but he suffered uh, several strokes before his death. I thought it would be good to go behind the music with you and talk a little bit about how type 2 diabetes and stroke are connected and what some of the risk factors could be. Well, Max, there is a strong connection between uh, vascular disease or vascular complications from type 2 diabetes. And one of the main reasons is high blood sugars over a period of time do cause inflammation in the vessels. So there, with that inflammation building up because of unmanaged diabetes, high sugars, uh, and most times high cholesterol in combination with those high sugars, clots start to form and plaques in the vessels. And once those clots form, uh, there is a likelihood of stroke. And do people see any of these symptoms beforehand, before they suffer a stroke? I mean, I've heard that you might start having headaches repeatedly. Is that something they could be on the look for? Would there be any kind of symptom that we should tell people about? Well, yes. Um, the the key is to manage the, the um, blood sugars to target. Um, there are signs that you can look for, including blurred vision, you know, the high sugars, uh, high blood pressure, high cholesterol levels, all of those are signs that if, if they're not managed, then stroke may be inevitable. However, a lot of people have strokes and there are no warning signs, um, you know, not that they can see or not that they have actually put together, uh, made that correlation that they may be, uh, stroke may be impending. So, um, you know, once the stroke occurs, of course, there may be slurred speech, a weakness on one side or the other, uh, confusion, the inability to stand, inability to speak, all of those things may happen. But uh, prior to the stroke, sometimes there are no signs that a person detects. But there are numbers, and I think it's important to kind of talk about the numbers that could be leading to something like a stroke, like a high A1C. I don't think a lot of people get the connection between what that number could mean. And I know when we used to tour on the road with Divabetic Makeover Your Diabetes, you had this great way of explaining how high blood sugar, you know, and I, I'm paraphrasing, and if I get it wrong, I'm sorry, but you would say your blood would become thick like ketchup versus when it would uh, in the normal range and, your, you know, and, and how it would thin down and the way it would travel through your system. So I just kind of want to talk a little bit about that because I feel like sometimes when we talk about the complications, people get scared, and I don't want them to have to wait until there's a droopiness on their face or a droopiness in their loved one's arm or slurred vision before they start to make changes. It might be, it might be really looking beyond the numbers they're seeing at their checkups. Absolutely. And when I say to manage those sugars, uh, the blood sugar glucose level to target, we're talking about in terms of the A1C, uh, A1C of 7 or below is ideal. That is uh, what we mean manage to target. Any A1C that is above the 7%, um, that person needs to take effort to try and decrease and get that down to the ranges where they can decrease the possibility or probability of having a stroke and other complications. So um, if you have an A1C, 8%, 9%, and so often when A1Cs are that high, a person looks at um, management style and treatment style as uh, uh, enemy. So they're looking at when a doctor is recommending a change in medication or in um, additional medicine or especially insulin, then they really don't want to follow that advice. But the key to diabetes management is managing to target. And, yes, I, I have an um, analogy that I like to teach with using the vessels as equating them to plumbing system in a person's home. And so when you have thick sugar that is trying to 
um, transport itself through the vessels all the way from the heart down into the legs and feet, then there is resistance in the vessel. Uh, the heart has to work overtime in order to transport the, the, the blood flow and oxygen and, and nourishment through all the tissues of the body. And so when it has that problem transporting it, the vessels become what I call engorged. The vessels become um, inflated or, or they, they bulge. And so um, it's kind of balloon-like. And when you have that happening, the vessels can become very thin. And if they puncture, it's kind of like having a uh, water pipe that has ice in it. And over time, with that resistance in the pipe, you'll see a puncture or you have water that's flowing to the outside and not contained in the, um, within the vessel or within the pipe. And so when blood begins to flow outside of that vessel, then there, um, there, therefore there is a stroke. And also you have the ischemia, uh, the ischemic type of stroke as well, where the clot occludes or, or stops the flow of the uh, blood throughout the system. And so when this happens, there's decreased oxygen and the brain is not getting the flow that it needs and strokes can occur from that um, standpoint as well. Well, I also I think that's I love that analogy and I love the insight you just gave and I think it's also important to point out that over time your body can adjust to these higher A1Cs of 12, 14, but it can't stay there forever. It can't sustain it, right? Because I think Absolutely. what happens is a lot of people say, why did this happen? And they don't realize, like, if they're continually having A1Cs of 12 and 13 and 14, which we both have seen through our various outreach efforts, they could your body becomes accustomed to that for quite a while, can become accustomed to it for quite a while, and then, like you just said, then the burst can happen. So it, it's important, I think, Absolutely. Uh, to get your insight on that as well, because I think people are always like, how did this happen today when it, I was fine yesterday? Yes, and, and that's a question that we hear often um, because a person actually does not understand or feel the difference and, and not realize they are um, in harm's way. So when something happens, it's like, okay, so, you know, I was okay a few months ago or I was okay last week and all of a sudden this has happened to me. But when the heart is working overtime all the time and it does that, if that A1C is above, especially at 8, 9, 10%, and like you say, 14, when we see A1Cs that high, then it's inevitable that something is going to happen. Complications will occur with A1Cs that high. Great advice, Patricia. All right, I want to move on. Uh, in my research for tonight's podcast, where I was, you know, Googling about Cuba and diabetes, excuse me, and I found out there's a lot of cutting-edge treatments coming out of Cuba that Americans don't have access to because of restrictions related to embargo and um, I don't want to get into the embargo. I want to talk about some of the things I'm finding out. And one of them is a treatment, a drug for foot ulcers called Hermaprot P that prevents the need for amputations. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yes, I did a little research on Hermaprot T. And it actually is, I mean, P, it is actually a medication that's injected directly into the, um, the, the ulcer. So it's, it's into the tissue, and it has this growth factor um, that focuses on increasing the flow and, and restoring the vessels so that amputations do not occur. So, but it is one of the medications that we don't see in the U.S. But and according to the research, um, it has been around since, I believe it was 2006, Correct, and they, you found out, too, that it's been highly effective in preventing amputations, right? Highly effective. I, I read where there was a study in Venezuela with 87,000 people uh, with foot ulcers, and over a period of 54 months of the injections, um, 20,000 were spared amputations. 
And I just think knowledge is power. Finding out about this information is something that when you're look when you're hearing about the headlines about healthcare and where things are going in um, our government, this is something that if you're concerned about amputation, you would want to do more research on and get also involved in contacting your politicians about maybe how the FDA works and finding out more about why those approval those FDA approvals are so important and maybe why something like the drug we're talking about right now might go on your list of trying to help get it into America to help your loved ones or yourself. All right, we're going to move on from feet, Patricia, and get into kidney awareness in a minute. Uh, we're going to come right back and talk about our instant winner health quiz today. But first, there's time for more music. In 1959, Celia Cruz and her band were hired to perform in Mexico. Uh, Celia Cruz, unfortunately, did not return to Cuba after that. After that, she went to uh, became a U.S. citizen and never returned to her beloved Cuba. On, uh, that was one of the greatest pains in her life, was not being able to return because of Fidel Castro's regiment. Now um, we're going to play another favorite song from Mexico, Oye Como Va, courtesy of Sony Music. Y 
Dr. Diabetes Late Night. I'm your host, Mr. Diva Bedek, and I'm thrilled to be celebrating the musical legacy of Celia Cruz and also to, excited to tell you that I'll be celebrating the musical legacy of Luther Vandross in May 2018 here in New York City. I'll be hosting, along with the Vandross Family Estate, the first ever Vandross Festival. Uh, this is a four-day celebration happening in New York to not only celebrate Luther's musical leg legacy, but also raise awareness for the prevention of diabetes health-related complications such as stroke. So on Thursday, May 10th, we'll be presenting a musical tribute to Luther Vandross with live performances from his former uh, vocalists, Pat Lacey and Alpha Anderson, plus Chic former lead singer Norma Jean, R&B singer Allison Williams, and it will all be under the musical direction of Luther's former MD, Nat Adderley Jr. at the Sugar Bar in New York City. On Friday, May 11th, we'll be attending Lisa Fisher and the Grand Batons performance at the legendary Blue Note in Greenwich Village. You won't want to miss that. And we've got an exclusive backstage pass to visit with Lisa Fisher, who's a Grammy Award-winning artist and the star of 20 Feet from Stardom, along with one of Luther's most iconic vocalist that night. You want to catch that at the 8 o'clock show, but she'll also be performing at 10 o'clock as well. On Saturday, May 12th, we'll be at SVA Theater in New York City. We'll be hosting a film presentation of some of Luther's most iconic performances along with his award um, show performances, uh, favorite videos, and appearances. Plus, I'll have uh, some of his stage memorabilia on site, as well as three of his most iconic stage beaded jackets that you can see up close, which are so beautiful. And get this, we're going to be having a panel discussion with some of his um, former vocalists and band members, including Skip Anderson, Cindy Mizell, Carlos Alomar, Robin Clark, as well as a few others. And, oh, and Fonzie Thornton, Tawatha Adji. The list keeps going on and on, along with Luther's historian, Leon Petrosin. Plus, at the end of that day, we will be learning how to sing backup with vocalist Pat Lacey. She's going to try to lead us through, I think, the power of love. I hope I could harmonize on that. And if I can't, maybe you could help me that night. And then finally, on Sunday, May 13th, for Mother's Day, we're going to be hosting an 80s Fandross fashion brunch with our own Catherine Schuler. Plus, I'll be hosting a question and answer with Dr. Beverly Adler about 80s Dynasty of Diabetes self-discovery. We'll be talking about what happened in the 1980s and how it's moved forward uh, in our lifetime till now and talking a little bit about the first home glucose monitor as well as the Apple Watch. So you won't want to miss that. That will be at the Yotel in New York City. All those dates and all that information are available right now on our website, divabetic.org. Plus, you can learn about the David Bowie and the Tiffany, uh, Tiffany Lamp exhibits happening in New York City during the month of May. May is all about Luther Vandross here in New York, so please join us. Check out our e-newsletter. And remember, every diva has an entourage. I was part of Luther's, and now I'm really glad to be part of yours. Let's get happy and stay healthy together. You know, Celia Cruz was an amazing woman known for her improvisational skills on stage, for her extravagant outfits, colorful wigs, and high-heeled shoes. She was every inch a diva. So I thought we would close the show with one of Celia Cruz's most amazing renditions, and it's of that iconic song, I Will Survive, uh, courtesy of Sony Music. Here we go. Listen to Celia Cruz one more time. Mi voz puede volar, puede atravesar cualquier herida, cualquier tiempo, cualquier soledad sin que la pueda controlar, toma forma de canción así es mi voz, que sale de mi corazón y volará sin yo querer, por los caminos más lejanos por los sueños que soñé, será reflejo del amor de lo que me tocó vivir Será la música de fondo de lo mucho que sentí Oye mi son, mi viejo son Tiene la clave de cualquier generación En el alma de mi gente, en el cuero del tambor En las manos del conguero, en los pies del bailador Yo viviré, allí estaré Mientras pase una comparsa, con mi rumba cantaré Seré siempre lo que fui con mi azúcar para ti, yo viviré, yo viviré. 
Mirando el cielo de la libertad Cuántos amigos que dejé Y cuántas lágrimas lloré Yo viviré Para volverlos a encontrar Y seguiré Con mi canción Bailando música caliente Como bailo yo Y cuando suene una guaracha Y cuando suene un guaguancó En la sangre de mi pueblo En su cuerpo estaré yo Oye mi son Mi viejo son Tiene la clave de cualquier generación en el alma de mi gente en el vuelo del tambor en las manos del conguero en los pies del bailador yo viviré allí estaré mientras pase una comparsa con mi rumba cantaré seré siempre lo que fui con mi azúcar para ti yo viviré Oh, 